0: This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello and welcome to the latest Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel. Liverpool celebrated their Premier League title win again on Wednesday night with a 5-3 victory over Chelsea at Anfield, getting a second party after Chelsea's win over Manchester City clinched the title a few weeks ago. Some iconic images and videos that will live long in the memory, of course, but there's still one more match of this incredible season to go. I'm Matt Addison, here to preview Liverpool's last match of the 2019-20 season, just short of 12 months after the journey began. Jurgen Klopp's side, of course, travelled to St James's Park on Sunday afternoon, and so to look ahead to that game, I have on the line with me Sam from Newcastle Fan TV. Sam, thanks for, for taking the time to, to join us. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. Um, no problem.
1: at all. For, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm just disappointed you're all awake and compositus and hangover free. I'm I can't believe it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, certainly a late night last night. I was on the the blogs for for the Echo and. Uh, I think I came off those blogs about two o'clock and didn't get to sleep till about three or four. But uh, yeah, I suppose you've, you've got to relish those moments, haven't you? You've got to, to enjoy them when they happen. But I just, I wonder, first of all, you know, talking about the, the game at the weekend, what, what your thoughts are really on, on the season that Liverpool have had? Because I suppose it's easy for us in our bubble, at the Echo, to sort of see it from a Liverpool perspective. But from elsewhere, how has it been for you? Um, yeah. I, I, I'd be lying
1: if I was saying I was looking forward to Sunday. Um, I was watching the, some of the celebrations last night, just purely, just thinking, "Go on, lads, get that champagne, get them beers down, you. Go on, keep the party going till about you know four o'clock on Sunday. That'd be ace." But um, no, they're they're. Look, I'm not blowing smoke up your backside. You're the best team in the best club team in the world at the minute. There's no getting away from that. Uh, World champions, European champions, now Premier League champions, which I'm guessing it's the one you you all wanted. Uh, It's been a long time coming um, after a few near misses. But, um, yeah, your squad's bulletproof. I mean, especially the starting eleven. it's just um, pretty imperious looking. I mean, it's been on the cards for the past couple of years now, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that Klopp puts out the team that you sent out in the uh, Carabao Cup against Aston Villa. Then we might have a chance at, at nicking a point.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly be interesting to see who plays. I'm sure it won't be quite that team. But I suppose Newcastle, if this takeover, which seems to be sort of overshadowing the football almost over the last few months, if that goes through, maybe Newcastle could get to that level one day soon. I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously mike ashley is there and and everyone's aware of the issues with him why is it so important that that newcastle get taken over to to kind of get our club back really we're not going anywhere i mean
1: the the aim for the season is to you know anything better than 18th so we don't go down is 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 is, is acceptable now that that's not newcastle united i mean it's not that long ago that we were pressing for Europe and, I mean, that's not what we expect, but we expect some, an ambition to try, to try, I mean, at least get into the top half of the table. I mean, there's still, no matter what, 52,000 screaming fans there every other week and it's just so depressing over the past 13 years to have the club treated the way it's been treated by this guy that just, doesn't understand the area, doesn't understand what he's so lucky to have um, and just strip all of its assets. The takeover, it'd be amazing if it went through. Um, it's been going on for so long. We're just living in hope now rather than expectation. We've been here so many times before. It's not about, all right, if, if the Saudi takeover goes through, then we will allegedly be you know, the richest club in the world and whatnot. It's not about that. All right, that'd be lovely. But it's just about getting rid of Mike Ashley and just getting back to a club that tries and you know, just having some fight, some ambition, some some life in it again.
0: Yeah, I suppose some parallels there with Liverpool under Hicks and Gillette. It was, you know, a regime that Liverpool fans needed to to get to to see the back of almost and I suppose, as you say, that the longer these things drag on, the less likely sometimes they are to get over the line. I mean, are you hopeful that, that something will happen? Because I don't know how long this has been going on for now, but it seems like forever. Four months. Um, I think it just after
1: lockdown, the news <laughs> broke, which was probably the worst thing that could have happened. Because with this news breaking during lockdown, when none of us have got anything to do, we're just Constantly refreshing Twitter every two minutes, expecting news, which is just never going to happen. Of course, it's not. Usually, with takeovers, you find out, you know, on the completion day or when it's about to be completed. But four months of this, in, and now the latest is that we seem to be stuck in the middle of a, a battle between the Saudis and Qatar. I mean, politics and football don't go together. But, um, I mean, we've had the likes of uh, Henry Winter and John Cross on Newcastle Fans TV during lockdown, and their opinion was, if anything's going to disrupt and stall this takeover, it's the argument between them two countries and the TV piracy issues that have been happening in the Middle East. So it's, it's just so frustrating, and you're just banging your head against a brick wall until it, any sort of communication of
0: a resolution comes out. Yeah, it doesn't sound like one that's going to be done anytime soon. But, I mean, in terms of the actual football, then, Newcastle's season 13th going into this game, they'll only stay there or, or drop down to 14th at the absolute worst, depending on the result. I mean, sum up the, the campaign, really. I know you said before it's, it's about staying up and, and anything above 18th has been a success. But then surely that makes 13th place relatively successful.
1: You would you would have definitely taken it at the start of the season. I mean, we were anti-post favourites to be relegated with, with the likes of Norwich. Um, so on that basis, considering the mess we were in at the start of the season and just the lack of organisation and just not knowing what was happening, um, you would definitely say it was a success on the face of it. Um, it's been a mixed bag. There have been some good performances. There's kind of been a bubbling undercurrent with a, a couple of issues with some players and their contract situations, Matty Longstaff in particular, I don't think has been particularly well treated um, by the regime. Um, he hasn't had a look in since, since restart because of his inability to sign a contract. He's our hottest property. Really? He's, he's got so much potential and he's being kept Bruce. Steve Bruce is playing players out of position to keep him out of the side. So, it's, it's not been smooth sailing. We've ridden our luck a few times. Um, we've picked up some real unexpected wins and, and really lucky wins against um, Chelsea at home and, and Tottenham away. Um, but it, it's not been all bad. The style of football isn't exactly what you'd come to expect. But then it wasn't under Rafa either. So it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. But what can't speak
0: can't lie. And the table says 13th. So it's not been terrible at all. No, I mean only one win in the last eight matches, I believe, and that came against Bournemouth. I mean, would it be fair to say since lockdown, Newcastle maybe haven't been in the best form, and it's almost you're almost going to be glad that the, the season is coming to an end, almost.
1: Possibly, I mean, the first four games were unbeaten a lockdown, but then injuries started happening. Steve Bruce doesn't manage his squad very well. He does run players into the ground. So players have picked up injuries, so we're down to the bare bones because, I mean, the guy doesn't even use all of his substitutes and then complains that players are tired and lacking fitness and then, lo and behold, three days later, they're playing 90 minutes again. So that's kind of been brought on himself um, to an extent. But the, the last few games, I mean, Spurs at home the other week, we, we didn't deserve to get beat at all. I mean, on the face of it, you think, oh, Newcastle won, Tottenham three, routine win, Harry Kane strikes again and whatnot. But it wasn't like that at all. Newcastle played some really nice stuff and didn't deserve to lose. Um, other games have been terrible, uh, Man City in particular, obviously. Um, yeah. But it, it is just a case of riding out at the end of the season now. We saw that on uh,
0: Monday in our last game at Brighton, which was which could have been played on the beach. Yeah, certainly wasn't the, the best spectacle. And you mentioned that record against the top six. There have been a couple of wins, but a 3-1 defeat at Anfield, 5-0 against Leicester and Man City, 4-1 at Arsenal. Newcastle tend to concede at least twice against the big six teams. And and when they do, it it can sort of get a little bit ugly. Yes, uh,
1: the Leicester games in particular, were one I'm not overly keen to remember. Um, I was at the Emirates for the 4-0 defeat against Arsenal and first half we were superb it was nil nil at half time and then for some reason players switched off from the moment that whistle went in the second half and we were absolutely destroyed it was it was quite perplexing but um yeah I mean even at the game at Anfield we went one nil up if you remember through uh Jetro Willems and then it all went so wrong but you know when you're playing the best team in the world you can just turn it on at the flick of a switch so It can get pretty ugly, which is why I was, as I said earlier, I was quite keen to see the players knocking back a few beers in the dressing room last night, and long may it continue. But um, yeah, our our record, particularly away from home, is poor. But now you know, an empty St James's Park isn't uh, isn't a positive for us.
0: Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. You mentioned Rafa Benitez before, and I've got to, to ask you about him, of course. A, a manager that Liverpool fans love, and, and Newcastle fans did too, I believe. And yes. Explain the, the sort of relationship that, that Newcastle fans and, and Rafa had. Uh,
1: he got it. He understood, he understood the club. Uh, he understood the club, he understood the city, he understood the fan base. He knew what we were wanting. He wanted the same things as us. He was in constant battles with ownership, which, you know, like he was at Liverpool with uh, Hicks and Gillette. Um, It was just... It's the hope that kills you. And the best thing about Rafa was he brought hope. But that was the worst thing about Rafa as well, that he brought hope. Because (laughs) nothing was ever going to change. He was always fighting a losing battle with Mike Ashley and he would never get the funds he wanted even though we were constantly told the, the club could have every penny it generated. Yet, Rafa Benitez made a profit, a consistent big profit, in every transfer window. And he's forced to shop in the loan market. He's forced to buy Stoke City's third-choice striker in Hossaloo. And then he's then our first-choice striker going back to our return to the Premier League. So it was... It was just a real waste of his of his genius, really, um, achieving what he did with a squad which is the, the, the same core of that squad is is what Steve Bruce has got now. It's the same players that were in the championship, barring a couple of the uh, additions. You know, the core of that squad is Jamal Lasells. Isaac Hayden, John Joe Shelby, Matt Ritchie, they were all in uh, Dwight Gale even as well. They were all players playing in the championship for Newcastle three, four seasons ago. So it was just a real waste of someone like Rafa Benitez to come to Newcastle United at a time where we were at the lowest of lows. Um it's just a it was a huge opportunity missed, and it just sums up Mike Ashley's tenure at Newcastle.
0: And Steve Bruce, of course, the man to come in. I mean, it was a, a pretty tough job given the, the sort of relationship, as you say, with Rafa Benitez. How do you assess what he's done this season? Because from the outside, it, it seems like he's actually done pretty well.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think Newcastle fans in the main would would agree he has un, under very difficult circumstances. The Rafa Benitez saga went on way longer than what it should Um you know, will he, won't he sign a new contract? I mean, the players were about to leave for pre-season in the Far East before, you know, the news was finally broken that Rafa w- was leaving. So it was an absolute mess. Um, the players that were signed in the summer weren't Steve Bruce signings. They were signings that were kind of predetermined. And, I mean, Joe Linton, Rafa didn't want. Um, and he was signed. I don't think Bruce had a say in that. So... He's, he's done a good job under the circumstances. There are a few issues that the fan base does have with Steve Bruce, like I touched on before, squad management and how he looks after his players. Um, not picking certain players and, you know, persevering with players that just aren't performing. But on the face of it, we, we have had some good days this season. Wins over Manchester United at home, Chelsea at home. They, the Spurs away. They've, they've been good days, um, but... Kind of, we still have some fears. If there's not to be no takeover, then we do hold some fears going into
0: next season. No, that's perfectly understandable. And I suppose another link to Liverpool in, in John Joe Shelby, he was always a player who had a lot of talent, but he just never seemed to consistently perform for Liverpool. He's now, of course, 28. He's been at Newcastle for four years, spent three years at Swansea before that. I mean, how would you say he fits into the, the Newcastle squad at the moment? Has he fulfilled the potential that, that he ever had? Um, it's interesting you bring Shelby up because I'd just
1: written an article on newcastlefanstv.com, cheap plug, um, f- uh, on John Joe. And that was, this is a player that would have been out the door had Raffer have stayed. He wasn't getting game time. He'd lost his place in the team to Sean Longstaff, um, who came in when Shelby was injured last season. Um And it seemed like he was out the door. He was constantly linked to West Ham. But he's one of the players that have benefited from Steve Bruce coming in. Um, He's our top league goal scorer this season, which tells you all you need to know about our forward line. But in his younger days, there were many occasions, and even in his early days at Newcastle, Games would kind of pass him by, he'd float around, not really do anything, he wouldn't track back, he'd make stupid, stupid tackles, and well not even tackles, just things to get him sent off. Um, that's gone, that's gone now, he's, he's finally grown up, he's, he's matured, he's, he's hard-working, consistently hard-working um, and he's got that ability to pick out a pass, very few players can. Um don't get me wrong, he's still not perfect. There's, there's still, you know, he can't do it every week. But um, that could be down to the players he's got surrounding him. But he's been superb this season, in my opinion, and um, still goes under the radar and pretty underrated. Um, I do think maybe, I mean, time's probably passed him by now at the age of 28 for him to break into an England squad. You know, highly unlikely. But I don't think he should be completely out the reckoning. But, you know, he, he has done well. I'm, as I say, top league goal scorer. Can't complain. He's been one of our probably players of the season.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. When I was doing my, my research before this, he left Liverpool at the age of 21. And I suppose it's easily forgotten, you know, now 28. You still sort of think of him as a, a reasonably young player, seven years on. But you mentioned him as, as being one of Newcastle's key men. I suppose another one is Alan St-Maximin. He's been... <laughs> A brilliant, brilliant player to watch this season. What would you sort of say of of his first season in in English football? He's the kind of player us Newcastle
1: fans and even the neutrals just love in a black and white shirt. He's he's charismatic, enigmatic. He's an absolute. He's a he's he's a bit of a nutter. Which Newcastle fans we look we love a bit of a nutter. Um, He's brilliant on social media. on Twitter and his Instagram, he, he's he's great value. Um, if he could find some end product to his game, consistent end product, you're ha- going to have a serious player on your hands. Um, he's got bags of potential. The, the ball can just stick to his feet. He can, he can dribble forever. He can do it all. He's, he's brilliant to watch. So entertaining to watch. Um but yeah, it's just sometimes that end product is lacking. Comparisons are drawn with Adama Traore at to Wolves last season, when he when he didn't really have much end product, could run with the ball forever, but didn't deliver. That that's kind of some it bodes some similarities to ASM. But my word, he, he is like like you say, he's great to watch. He is our our biggest threat for the opposition. He's pretty much our only outlet because he's so quick. Um if he's fit and raring to go on Sunday, then then that's the player that Liverpool have got to
0: keep their eye on. And Miguel Almiron as well, I think, one to watch. He's someone I picked out at the start of the season. I think he's really interesting because, of course, he came in from MLS. How's he been getting on? Because he was bought for a relatively big fee. Has he lived up to that? Um, I would
1: say so. I mean, a big fee for Newcastle, isn't a big fee for most other teams. So, I mean, 20, 24 million, what does that get you these days? Um, with Miguel Almiron, fans stuck with him because he had a real tough start. He didn't get his first goal till nearly 12 months after he signed. But he'd always work hard, always put in a shift, always smiles about it. And that's why the supporters have stuck with him. He struggled a bit since lockdown. I think he's one that's waited... Uh, for the end of the season to come, he looks a bit jaded. Probably needs a rest. Um, he's gone missing in a few games recently, but um, on his day, Miggy's a fantastic player. Um, great left foot, tracks back, works hard. Um, he is he is uh, an outlet. He just again, there needs to be more from him in the in the final third.
0: And in terms of, of Liverpool then, just as a, a final question, I mean, which players are you most fearful of? <laughs> the ones in red. <laughs> anyone Anyone in particular? Um, so,
1: your wing-backs for a start, obviously the best wing-backs probably in the world. I mean, Robertson's been superb. I remember Newcastle being linked with him before he um, joined Hull. Uh, opportunity missed there. Um, Alexander-Arnold... From the outside looking in, I think his future lies further up the field. But whilst he's so young and an amazing, special talent that he is, you know, he's one of the best right backs in the world. So he's one to watch. I mean, I always say to people, look, Gareth Bale started at left back, didn't he? So Alexander Arnold, for me, could could um, hit them heights. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. I think he's a proper, real special talent. I don't know whether you'd agree or whether. Liverpool fans just think of him as, as a right-back, but I don't know, I always kind of see him as one for the future to to, to play further up the field. Um, Mane, special talent, absolutely superb. Salah, dangerous as ever. Firmino, brilliant. Origi's a pain in the backside off the bench for defences. Um, Wijnaldum, loved him at Newcastle. So Very sad when he left. Um, played in the number ten role for us um, and was our top scorer of the season. We went down. Um, yeah, our, well, the last time we went down, our midfield partnership was Weinald and Musa Sissoko, who obviously lined up against each other in the Champions League final last season. But uh, there you go. But yeah, um, we've we've got to be at our very very best to to hope for a point. Let's face it. Um, and we need to hope that, you know,
0: kids are given their time or, you know, everyone's got a headache still. Yeah, we'll certainly see what happens. That's all we have time for on this podcast as the build up to the final match of the season continues. Hopefully that's put our listeners in the mood to see the Reds again. Games against Newcastle do tend to be decent, so fingers crossed we get a few more goals after that crazy game midweek. Thanks very much to, to Sam for joining me. The final question that I'll throw you away is to ask for a score prediction. I'm going to go for 3-1 to Liverpool, but what are you going to go for? Uh,
1: 2-0 Liverpool.
0: I'm sure our our listeners will certainly take that. It would be nice to end the season with a win for Liverpool, but we will see what happens. And no matter the outcome, you'll be able to follow it all across the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red. For now, though, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. For the final time this season here on the Behind Enemy Lines podcast, from me, Matt Addison, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.